When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They called him the Hammer. That was his nickname. He used to, you know, he used to put a lot of seats, people in the seats, apparently, because as soon as they dropped the puck, he'd just grab somebody and start feeding them, you know. And he was drunk on the ice a lot, is the stories I hear. You know, he'd put a 40 down before the game. They'd go out, drop the puck, and he'd just go toe-to-toe with somebody. And apparently he wasn't a very good fighter. He Got beat a lot, but the crowd used to love it. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Kaczyk. I played goalie because of Dominic Kaczyk. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as this team has over the last, like, five years... And just don't hold yourself accountable. I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike. An in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 30 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I'm your host, Johnny Cohen, alongside always my co-host, Dwayne Steinell. And for episode 30, we are pleased to be joined by 10-year professional hockey veteran and NHL enforcer, recent University of Minnesota graduate and current coach, head coach of the Minnesota Magicians in the NHL, Stu Bickle. Stu, thanks again for being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Stu, man. Like I said before, man, I don't know if we're if we're interviewing Stu Bickle or next contestant on The Bachelor, dude. I can't even look at the guy. He's so goddamn hot. For, for those that don't know, Dwayne is <laughs> a giant hitting on Stu here. I, I'm, I, I, I don't know, man. Yo. <laughs> yo, six to midnight in a hurry. Jesus well, Christ. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, – well, we were talking right before we came on. I had just watched uh, – for those of our listeners that haven't tuned in or haven't listened to it, uh, Rupp, Mike Rupp put together, uh, it was an awesome little podcast between, who was it, Stu? It was you, Carter, Jansen, who else was it? Uh, and Frost and Bolton. So, Bolton for those having, listen, it was electric. They go through some really good stories, and I can't wait to get uh, a little bit later on in the interview. We'll talk about that Jersey, uh, New Jersey, New York brawl, because that was, I mean, people are still talking about that. That was fun. So That was that dynamite. Tune in. Yeah, tune in. That was that was a good piece of content. And uh, so, I mean, we usually start, Stu, with, with going through, um, you know, kind of how you got in the game of hockey. And me and Dwayne were talking about this um, you know, we're lucky that we're so close to the Canadian border here in Buffalo that it's, it's a pretty much a hockey town, but um, Minnesota is something else. You know, it's the state of hockey for a reason. And, you know, you being a graduate at Eden Prairie, I had the, uh, well, so two things. I got to go out to uh, Minnesota. Where were the select festivals at? Was it Minnesota State? No. 
Uh, in St. Cloud. Yeah, St. Cloud. So yeah. uh, did you go to those? Uh, actually, so I coached in one in St. Cloud uh, last summer, and then we didn't have it this summer. But as far as a player, no, I was rarely uh, – Really made it past the regional part of the select trials. A lot of politics. I can't imagine trying to come out of Minnesota for that. But I, I got to – when I got to go there at 15 and 17, it was it was awesome. I actually – so my last year, I got lucky, played the best hockey of my life, made that Ivan Halinka tournament team, and I played with Nick Letty. And I saw that he's a graduate of Eden Prairie too. Uh, that guy's got million-dollar boots, man. He can fly up the ice. Did oh, you have a chance to interact with him, or did you know him growing up? I know he's a few years younger than you, right? Yeah, so I actually, no, I didn't know him well uh, until, you know, he was in college and, and at the University of Minnesota. And then, uh, like, I've always trained there. When I was playing, I always trained there. Uh, went back in the summers and worked out with all the alumni there. So, you know, you kind of cross paths with the current players. So that's kind of where I first met him. Uh, and then since then, uh, you know, summer coaching type stuff, uh, informal skates, I've, I've had a chance to be on the ice with him quite a bit. And he is, he's a heck of a player. He's a special skater. Not a lot of guys as smooth as him. He's having a dynamite playoffs too. And uh, well, getting back to it, what was it like growing up and, and um, you know, in Minnesota where you did, obviously, you know, you had a tremendous career and able to come out of there and got to play a year at, at the U. Um, but it's just always fascinated me, just the hockey culture there. And it's, it seems like an awesome place to grow up. How did you get into hockey? Uh, so I, I have two older brothers that were, were pretty into hockey at a, at a young age. Um, so just kind of naturally, uh, fell into it, uh, obviously started off, you know, just going out on, we actually, we lived on a lake when I was very young for, uh, my first few years playing hockey. So, uh, we just go out there and try to kind of stand up and balance on the ice. We've still got some good, uh, old, some old video of that. Awesome. Uh, it's always fun to watch when we were in kind of our first stages of, of really starting to enjoy the game and enjoy putting the gear on and all that. Um, and then from there, just kind of took off, just kind of followed my brothers all the way through it and just developed a really strong passion for the game. Now, with minor hockey, I've noticed that, you know, high school hockey is big in Minnesota. And for where, where we come from, Stu, it's high school hockey is big here, but it's not good. Um, no. you know, outside of a couple prep schools, Dwayne, would you agree with that outside of Nichols that it's? Um, absolutely. I, you know, having coached at the high school level for nearly a decade. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that, man, with the exception of a few programs. It's just, yeah, I didn't mean as a the, shot. I mean, it's, it's still – No, 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 it's not. Was. No, no, I didn't take it like that. I trust you, dude. I know, I, I know what it's like. Um, you know, it, yeah, I'd say outside of a few prep schools, like, you know, like Franny's, Nichols, and, you know, maybe one or two of the Joe's programs, you know, things like that. You know, the, hockey, the high school hockey, at least skill-wise, is, you know, isn't – you know, it's not much to, you know, to write home about. So for Stu, for you, was it, um, did you grow up as you were getting through minor hockey? Did you like, was it looking forward to high school and like knowing that that's where you wanted to be? Like you mentioned your older brothers, did they play ahead of you at Eden Prairie? Uh, no. So I actually grew up playing in the Minnetonka youth hockey system. Uh, going to Minnetonka schools my, my whole life until uh, right at the tail end in, in high school, I transferred to Eden Prairie. Uh, my parents lived kind of equidistant from from both schools, uh, and you know I'd grown up playing in off season stuff with with kids at both schools. Uh, just ended up being a better fit for me to go to Eden Prairie uh, at the end. But most of my young career, I was playing uh, with Minnetonka Youth Association, and and that's where my brothers both went and played all their high school hockey too. 
So, you know, having I, – I had an older brother, too. He ended up playing. He's an 84 birth year. He played at Quinnipiac. Um, and uh, I just remember it, it was awesome to have that, right, because it kind of – you're involved in the game. But being a little rink rat, you know, chasing him around, I had good memories there. And kind of just – Yeah, man, it was awesome. And, um, Love it. I uh, Lee Stepniak, I don't know if you ever crossed paths with him, but he was on the team. I remember we were on the bus. We was actually going to Culver Military Academy, but, like, Shattuck was there. I went in the back of the bus, and somehow they stuffed me up in the overhead compartment because I was being a little shithead. Um, good memories there. Of course, <laughs> me uh, ended up in the overhead compartment. But, Stu, so you end up there. You play at uh, Eden Prairie. And then, you know, what's it like? You know, you, you go to Green Bay. Uh, would that have been your underage year in 2004-05? Yeah, so I went uh, after my high school season ended at Eden Prairie. I went and played games with, with Green Bay. Uh, the rest of their regular season. So went and did that and then uh, ended up getting injured in the summer, actually. So I didn't go to their camp and I just went in there the next year, uh, you know, and, and it just wasn't a great fit for me in terms of like actually finding a role on that team. Uh, so I ended up going and playing in the North American League. Uh, and, you know, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, well, yeah, you, you go from you know you put up good numbers there for the express right yep. yeah we kind of got an opportunity game? to 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 go and to play a bigger play a bigger role on a team and actually start to get some college exposure um and then i actually ended up switching to defense that year too i'd been a forward all my life to that point uh so i just i actually how i switched to d is kind of a weird story i i ended up uh it was an off week where we didn't have games the following weekend so our coach just said, you know, you guys go ahead and scrimmage this week and then we'll get back to practicing next week. So we kind of did just did like an informal captain's practice type scrimmage thing. Uh, and some of our D didn't want to go on. So I just ended up taking a D jersey the first day and um, felt like I was picking it up pretty quickly and uh, ended up just kind of taking a D jersey the first day back to regular practice. And our coach was like, what are you doing? And I said, you know, I, I kind of want to give this a whirl. So I did it, and I, I ended up staying at D the rest of that year and then ended up uh, playing in the USHL the next year. And um, it really kind of helped me being able to, from that point forward, to kind of play both positions and be a bit of a Swiss Army knife on a, on a team's roster. It, uh, it definitely helped me out. For sure. What I know was, that. What, Go ahead, Dwayne. What, what was that, uh, the toughest part of that transition for you? Because that's like – I can't imagine that's remotely easy. Like – you know, going from, going from a, being a, a forward to a defenseman. And, you know, obviously it worked out for you, made the Nationals. So what, what was the toughest part of that transition? Um, for me, it was like, well, I, I always felt like I was chasing. The, the easy part, I guess, was I always felt like I was chasing the play when I was playing with my brothers growing up because I, I was always playing with older kids, uh, just trying to keep up. So I felt like I was the guy usually trying to get the puck back. <laughs> rather than making the plays. Uh, so that kind of helped me with just kind of naturally the way that I saw the game at that level. Um, the most difficult part, though, was, was kind of just understanding that you're the last guy back uh, and, and you have to play safe. I ended up actually kind of transferring into ending up being like a, a defensive defenseman, which is kind of odd for a forward to go back and end up being that way. But um, I think because I had to put so much effort into understanding the D zone and, and really playing solid defensively because I knew that I wasn't used to it, uh, I just kind of kept that going through my career. And I just I became really cognizant of, 
of playing a system in the D zone and being predictable for, for my teammates on the ice. And, um, you know, one thing kind of led to another and, and, and it worked out. So growing up, um, you have, you know, you have Minnesota is, is like the Mecca of besides new England, like the Mecca of college hockey, right? Were you always a, a U fan? I was, yeah. Growing up, I was a big time Gopher fan. Um, you know, I, I think at the young ages, you don't, I really understand the difference between going to an NHL game and going to a D1 game. You, you kind of think it's all the same or maybe the same level even. And then uh, as you get older, you piece it all together. But those games to me as, as a little kid, those are some of the most memorable. You know, we'd go for birthday parties and things like that. And Mariucci'd be sold out. And that was kind of back when they were, you know, really, really good and, and winning all the time and winning titles and stuff. So, uh, it was fun to, to follow that as a young kid growing up and kind of having that dream. But, um, you know, at the same time, I, I wasn't really go for caliber at any point until really my last year of junior hockey. Um, and it ended up working out that I got there. But, uh, you know, I, I certainly wasn't uh, wasn't an early recruit or anything like that. Uh, I didn't really think that that was going to be a possible scenario for me until until right before I ended up there, actually. So. So was it was Moscow there? Uh, was he coaching? No, no. So Bob was actually coaching at St. Cloud at the time. Uh, Don Lucia, Don Lucia was the was the head coach there, and Mike Genzel was the assistant coach that recruited me. So you get there, and that must have been. I mean, looking at that roster, so you had. Uh, I remember Jeff Frazzi, Frazzi, Frazzi. Frazzi, yeah, oh yeah. So he played for the the NTDP yeah, team, and uh, I remember uh, Chad Morin. I don't know if you remember him. He played there. Uh, he played it up at Harvard. Anyways, my brother billeted with that family, and his younger brother Jed ended up playing against me in the O. And and uh, so we know the family. But okay. NDTB team played uh, against Canisius and Niagara, and I saw it, and I fell in love with Frizzy's uh, his setup. Dwayne, he had the USA beautiful helmet. Yeah, I remember. So remember, I remember. I remember his helmet specifically, dude. It was beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. Um, and then so you guys had a good roster, but man, looking back, Stu. That WCHA was fucking loaded, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was th – those were the days. You know, that's, that's what everybody still talks about, um, you know, with the Big Ten and all that, you know, kind of missing those old days of the rivalries between the, the Minnesota teams and stuff. You know, being able to play against St. Cloud, Duluth, Mankato, North Dakota in, in conference was – uh, you know, it was pretty special. It was, it was definitely a good time to be a part of that, you know, of the program there at the U. And, um, you know, I think that the Big Ten is starting to kind of gain some traction and, and build some rivalries finally, which is which is good to see. So uh, I think going forward, hopefully we get back there to a point where there are some rivalries that, uh, that are that fiery. But, uh, you know, for now, that's – we kind of rely on those memories. And it, it, was, it was a blast to be a part of, especially – um, you know, games like going into North Dakota, I'll never forget that. That atmosphere oh, yeah. was incredible. Like, I, I, I've never been there, but just to see um, the Fighting Sioux, the chance they did, dude, that was awesome. Like, I can't imagine, like, you play in different barns, and if, and I'm, you, you've been through this at the East Coast and AHL level, you have some barns that are, you know, half full, and it's tough to get up for those, but I mean, no shortage of, of juice for going into North Dakota on a Friday, Saturday, I'm sure, right? Right, yeah, oh, man. I remember actually during the anthem, my, my roommate was one of our goalies and 
he got hit with a, a 20 ounce bottle of soda from like the upper deck, <laughs> like not an empty bottle, you know, a full bottle of soda. It's like, man, he had his helmet off too. It hit him right in the shoulders. If you had hit him in the head, would have been, uh, that would have been not too good from that kind of distance, but they were rowdy up there. And that, I feel like that story kind of is just kind of a piece of, <laughs> you know, evidence as to, as to what kind of crowd that they, they have up there. Uh, you know, they're all over you the whole time you're playing. And, and that's, that's what makes it fun. I always enjoyed playing in barns like that, where, you know, the fans kind of challenge you a little bit more and, and it was a blast. So Wisconsin is still in there in that, in the, in that conference too, right? Was they, was that, were they in the new building then? And what was that like? So like outside of North Dakota, what, what rinks stick out to you that were fun to play in or tough to play in? Yeah, they were at the Ralph. Um, I remember so in, in Wisconsin is, is kind of hit and miss now. I think on there on there following a little bit, but uh, I remember that one being a, a big one at the Cole Center there. Um, that that was a pretty pretty big uh, student section. I remember, and they'd get pretty rowdy too. Um, but I don't think anything really topped North Dakota's uh, fans. They just it was out of control. <laughs> it was absolutely out of control. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I haven't done much, you know, seen much as far as Division One hockey goes, but I know I, me and some friends used to, you know, travel up and catch some OHL games and just like, like you were saying in regards to the fan base, it's just a different atmosphere than it is going on any, you know, game in the national, just like the, the fans are just out of this world. Man, right on crazy. top of you. It's yeah, man. It's, it's nuts, dude. And, you know, you know, they're not, and like, you know, I, I, I don't know if, you know, you know, what about, you know, the diff, you know, between that and maybe going to a game in the national, it's like just how much rowdier they are, how just how much louder they are. Maybe it's how much smaller the rink is. Like, man, it's, it's an, it's an insane atmosphere. Insane. Um, Stu, you know, you, know, you, you mentioned, you know, growing up and, you know, loving the Gophers. You, you grew up, you know, when you were a kid too, the North Stars were still in Minnesota, correct? Yep. Yep. They left. Oh, uh, wow. I was destroyed when, when we didn't have a team for a while, but yeah, oh yeah, I used to, uh, so my brothers and I actually, my mom would take us over to Eden Prairie Community Center, and that was where the North Stars were practicing when I was younger, and so we'd just go up there and, and just watch their practices from the bleachers, and, you know, Medano, and all, you know, flipping us pucks and all this stuff, it was, it was so cool to, to just see that as a little kid. Um, I don't, I don't recall, like, that many people being there watching the practices, I don't know if it was because we were, like, a young family that they just kind of let us in to watch them, but uh, I have fond memories of that for sure. And it was just a blast to kind of see your heroes out there whipping around, you know, snapping it around in practice. It was pretty cool. A young Mike Madonna snapped it around for a little pregame practice. <laughs> and, and those jerseys were immaculate. They're still like, I, I, oh, I yeah. for a team to bring back that color green with the yellow, like probably top three jerseys for me all time. I love that setup. So awesome. The green one with the, with the N on it. Oh, yeah. just beautiful. It was. <laughs> electric i go six to midnight when i see those in a hurry yeah it's, um, they're nice they're so nice well we're still on the u i have one quick question for you so that roster uh we mentioned for z but you had um blake wheeler right he was a junior when you were there and also kyle Ocposo. but Ocposo left right yeah he left at christmas he signed at christmas that year now i remember it's a little bit different when i was in the ohl i never drafted but playing i kind of gravitated towards the guys that had signed their entry level right because you know they were paying for dinners and stuff um 
with Akposo leaving, and you know, you were older, you had played out your 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 junior eligibility. Um, growing up, you know, obviously we all dream of. Well, I guess it's all different, but like I dreamed of making it to the NHL. Um, I wanted to get paid to play the game, and uh, you have your first year there, but you know, you have that that option, I guess. And and when Anaheim, I guess, talking to you, like, did Akposo leaving, did that play into, you know, kind of you bouncing around in your head as to so what's next? You know, I read in one of your articles that, you know, you wanted to continue the, 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 the ladder, right. And to challenge yourself. And that's obviously the next step. So, you know, kind of take us through that mindset. Cause that's a big decision. And you're obviously playing, you know, for the, you with a talented group there. And, um, but you know, pro hockey comes calling. It's tough to say no. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it wasn't anything to do with Kyle or, or wheels leaving either or any of those guys, really. It was, it was more, you know, looking at it individually. And, and I think at some point, uh, you know, you kind of need to get selfish a little bit and what you want to do with the game. Uh, you know, I was 21 years old already. It wasn't like I was a, a young freshman. Um, so for me, you know, I felt like, you know, hey, I'm, if I go into pro hockey, I'm, I'm really not that young for a rookie. And I found that out pretty quickly that I wasn't. Um, so, you know, looking at kind of my chances of making it to the NHL, I felt like going to d develop in the American league might, might've been, uh, my best route with, with the way that I played the game and everything. Um, so, so that's what I eventually decided to do, but it was a difficult decision. Uh, certainly wasn't anything to do with, with the U of M or, or any negative feelings towards my experience there. I, I loved it there. And that's why. You know, I continued to go back and work out with the alumni and be a part of the program as much as I could uh, while I was playing and then went back eventually and coached there too, obviously. So uh, it wasn't anything that I, that I you know, had an, an issue with, with, with college hockey or the program or anything. I just, you know, I, I figured that was a time for me to get selfish and to make a decision for myself. I had put so much work into the game already that um, I felt like I had to do everything I could to, to move myself to, to where I wanted to eventually get. And, and for me, it was going to play in the A and, and developing and learning how to be a pro and all that. So, um, you know, I, I, I wish, I kind of wish in hindsight that I had been able to experience the whole college thing and then also get there. But I can't say that, uh, you know, it would have happened any other way. So, um, you know, I was happy with my decision. It was difficult for me because I got injured during my first year, about 10 games into my pro career. And um, it gave me a chance to go back home, shoot up 35 sometimes. It was only like four hours away in Iowa that I was playing. So the Iowa chops. Yeah. And so I would come back and hang out with my college buddies for the weekend or whatever. And it, that was kind of tough to do actually for me. Cause I was like, man, like this whole thing is not working out like I thought it would, but um, you know, I stayed with it. Once I rehabbed that injury, I came back for the last part of that year and I was still pretty confident that I had made the right decision. So you, you kind of, when you leave, you, you get these feelings that you want to do it. And then maybe there might be, you know, some bumps in the road where you start questioning yourself a little bit. But uh, at the end of the day, I think I, I made the right call. Well, I'm happy you brought that up. It's fascinating when you think about it. We all have our own paths. And I, I had never thought about the OHL I had some success there at the select festivals. I was, you know, verbally committed to Northeastern and, and, you know, growing up as an American kid, you, you, you dream of college hockey. That's our route. And, and I don't have any regrets, but I do. The one thing I, I missed out on was that brotherhood that you talk about of going back to skate with the alumni and that group, like we don't have that in the OHL. Like I still keep in contact with, with some guys I play with in Windsor, but the other teams, not so much. Um, and that's really cool, right? Like you have that, you're part of that. And obviously it opened the door for you for your coaching career. 
getting to coach with Bob. And we'll get to that in a little bit because that must have been a treat. Um, but, Dwayne, as we transition to the pro hockey, like, like we talked about with some of the goalies, it's hard to break in. And, I mean, like you said, dealing with an injury that first year, I can't imagine the, you know, the mental, you know, frustration there. But like you said, you, you battled, you overcame it. And, you know, it led you, you into, into that next year. Uh, what was that like bouncing, you know, getting sent down to the coast and, and playing in Bakersfield there and then, you know, getting into San Antonio and it looked like you, you played pretty well there because, you know. Yeah, so we, yeah, my, my first year we had a, a new franchise in, in Iowa, the Iowa Chops, as you had mentioned. Uh, it lasted all, all of one year. Uh, and then the, the team folded. I don't know what issues were, if there were issues with the org, organization from a, It was from suspended a by the Board of Governors for being ownership. a remedy. I, yeah, I don't know if it was ownership stuff or what it was, um, but ended up just not working out there. So they wanted to move the team. And then there were kind of rumblings the next summer that, hey, like we're moving to some pretty good cities and and some rumors going around that they might go west. And this is way back then before they, you know, long before they actually decided to move the American League West to California. But kind of got all the guys excited hearing kind of the rumors of what they eventually wanted to do. And, hey, are we doing it now? Uh, and then kind of the letdown of uh, pre-camp, actually, the, the organization reached out to everybody and said, hey, we're not going to have an AHL team at all this year. So wow. um, they ended up sending quite a few guys that had played in the American League the year before down to the coast to start there. Um, we had a blast, probably had too much fun down there, but uh, ended up, uh, you know, a lot of us ended up getting loaned out in, in short time to, to different American League teams. So uh, a buddy of mine, McGregor Sharp, and I ended up going to San Antonio. Uh, we had a couple guys go to like Rochester. We had a couple guys, um, I think, in, in Manitoba with the Manitoba Moose. It was just kind of a hodgepodge of, of Ducks prospects around the whole league and uh, definitely a tough year, but uh, but made it through it. And I uh, felt like I actually made some strides as a player that year. Uh, so so it was an overall positive, but uh, it's, it's definitely difficult when, when you realize that, hey, I, you know, I left school for this and now we don't even have an AHL team. It's just, there, there was a lot of, like I said before, kind of these these bumps in the road that made you question everything. but. Uh, you know, you just keep pushing on. Now, when, uh, at what point, you know, when you, when you turn pro, or maybe it was before this even, when would, when, like, when did you realize that you kind of had to be that tough guy enforcer, you know, defenseman, you know, you, you know, is that something that you came upon like yourself where, you know, if I'm going to make it, this is the type of player I have to be, or did somebody approach you? Cause I know, I think I, I, I can't remind me if I'm wrong. Uh, Cully, but isn't that how it happened with Janny, uh, with Jansen? Somebody approached him and told him that uh, a coach said, you know, if you want to continue to have a, a, a like a career, a sustained, a, you know, sustained success or a career in this league, that you're uh, you're gonna have to, you know, play this type of a physical game. Yeah, play with uh, an edge. Yeah, play with an edge. I think it was Jansen. I, I forget who it was that told him that. But uh, you know, at what point in your career did you did you decide, or has it always been a part of your game? Where he's like, this is the what I have to do to play at this level for a sustained amount of time. Uh, I mean, I always played a, a rough and tumble game for for my age group, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were, there were probably a couple times along the way where I realized, you know, hey, maybe that I should be doing more of this. Um, it, one of them being, I, I was actually so I, I finished up the year 
uh, my first full year of junior hockey in Southern Minnesota in the North American League. And then I went to uh, like a, a spring camp for, you know, getting, re- getting players ready for USHL camps and North American League camps in the summer. And a guy approached me and asked me, um, a guy that I had already known approached me and said, hey, why don't you try out for Sioux Falls? And this was like a day before their camp. So I think they had somebody drop out of the camp. Uh, I wasn't planning on going to it. And then I went there, had a couple games where I'd played all right. And then um, one of their coaches actually came down in between periods and said, hey, you know, like I, you know, heard you can fight a bit. And, you know, uh, they got some tough guys on the other team. They had the, the heavyweight from the year before on, on the other scrimmage team uh, in this trial camp. So I went out there and I was like, all right, sure, I'll, you know, go do that, give it a whirl. And um, went out there and the guy actually asked me for a shift, which was great because I didn't have to go out of my way. I just said, you don't want to go? I said, yeah, I do. Absolutely. Let's, go. <laughs> Let's do this. And, uh, and did well in that. And then um, they ended up trading him and, and keeping me. And um, so that was kind of my first experience where I saw myself kind of uh, take advantage of an opportunity to, to do that and to show I could do it. And then, you know, see a positive result in, in making a team and um, ended up having a great year there with Sioux Falls. And, you know, but fighting junior kids is a lot different too. So it kind of came easy to me early on. Um, but then, you know, getting into pro, obviously I didn't fight in college and then getting into pro. Um, I don't think I realized it there till, till a few years in when my entry level was coming to an end and it was like, Hey, you know, I got to sink or swim here and, um, find a way to, to keep my career going. Cause I was concerned about, you know, what, where I was going to end up the next year and all that. Um, so, you know, I, I, just kind of gave myself a look in the mirror and I said, you know, I think I had improved my skills to that point in, in the way I was playing in pro, but I really wasn't willing to, to fight anyone and I wasn't willing to do anything it took. And I, I kind of realized that and um, just decided kind of then and there, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out here and, and fight anyone that wants to fight or I'm going to, you know, do play whatever role I have to just just keep playing this game. So um, you know, a couple different moments in my career where I realized, Hey, maybe I should do more of this. Um, and then I ended up, I think I went out and had like 15 fights or so that year and then, uh, maybe 20 the next year. And, and that was kind of the, the bulk of me figuring out, um, kind of how to fight pros and, and play a little bit of defense in the way I was fighting and that sort of thing. So, uh, definitely was never like all my game. Um, you know, not, not really a, a through and through heavy, like, like Janny. Um, but you know, definitely an element of my game that I was, I was willing to play that role if, if coaches wanted me to. Well, and it obviously paid off, you know, when yeah. you caught somebody's eye in New York and, you know, getting, getting to that part of your career, um, heading over there, uh, when that year, so New York started in, you didn't start the year with them, right? Because they were over, they started in Sweden, I think. Yeah. So I actually went over there, um, with the team oh that's sick uh i so i ended up i i was i remember we had a scrimmage in jersey uh and i played in like the ahl scrimmage during the day and then there was a game at night with the nhl guys uh so i thought i was going down and then they ended up uh pulling a guy out of the lineup and put me in in philly and then we had a big melee there and i think that helped my cause a little bit and then after the game they're like all right well what do you say you, you want to come with to 
to Europe. And so I was like, geez, like I'm getting pretty close to achieving this. And Fuck yeah, sign me up. You're right, yeah. So, yeah, I was like, let's do it. So I, I went over there and I played more exhibitions over there. Um, you know, obviously the style there wasn't quite as conducive to a guy who plays the way that I do, but, um, you know, just went over there and kind of bullied teams around a bit and, uh, kind of fit in with the group. I thought I had a chance. And then like, right, I think the day of the, the Ross opening day roster announcement, uh, I got put on waivers, me and, uh, Brendan Bell got put on waivers and then they ended up sending us down. So kind of the way it all shook out. And then, um, got sent down. I think I had to take a flight home and I think I had a game like right in the American league, like right when I got off the plane in like Albany or something. It was just, it was so deflating, you know, I was, oh, I was close. And then, and then uh, to realize that was going to be delayed, I think just kind of put a chip on my shoulder and I just went down and did everything I could to get back. So. And that's people don't realize how difficult it is to get off the plane and do that. My only experience, I had a cup of coffee with the Ontario rain stew. And I remember landing at this little Ontario, California airport and the, whoever picked me up. So like, Hey, you hungry? I'm like, yeah, I haven't eaten all day. They're like, well, good. I will stop to get to eat. Cause you're in the lineup tonight. And I didn't have to play. Thank God I was opening the door, but still it's just a shit show getting off the plane and you, you fuck you jet lagged or whatever it is. And you get right in there and, um, you know, obviously you were up with the big club before, but you got to get acclimated quickly with your new teammates. But I had a question for you. Do you remember the cameras being around? Were they following you yet for the 24 seven HBO thing? Um, when I got back, I think they started, I think they may have started. Yeah. Right before I got there. So I think they already were doing it. Yeah. Was that different? Just having it like, I was trying to figure out because it, it seems like they do a pretty good job of, you can tell when guys are kind of forcing it for the camera, but like most times it seemed pretty authentic, right? Like, was it just in the back yeah. of your, just in the background where guys didn't really talk about it? They were just there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's super authentic. And, and that, so I actually, there was one game where a home game where they wanted to have the mic thing attached to my shoulder pads and, and they, they didn't tell me they were doing it. And I went to put my shoulder pads on. Like I, you know, you put those on almost last uh, and realized it was on there. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know about this. Cause I, you know, I say some things on the ice that I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know, you know? So uh, I just, I, I, I didn't want to do it. And, and, I remember I, I went and I asked our trainer, I was like, do I have to do this? And they're like, oh, no, not at all. So Fuck. I didn't end up doing it. I, I had it taken off. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if I trust myself and the things I say if I want to stand by them on HBO. Yeah, I have no off switch either. It's, even when I wasn't playing on the bench, um, Dougie Gilmore was my coach in Kingston. And he gave me the green light. And I would just say some fucking ruthless things, like stuff I'm not proud of that my mom, if she heard, would slap me in the fucking head. So I'm with you on that. Even the moment, I don't fucking know. Yeah. You know. The fucking wheels get spinning, and I might just – yeah, it's bad. So I stand by I, I, I used to do that shit right in that. I didn't really give a shit, man. I would, just, I would say the, like, worst things. If it, you know, you – you know, during a scrum in front, trying to cover the puck, I just pop back up and just say, I would like, and one of my goalies, you know, uh, uh, you know, Austin pick uh, a few years ago, he used Great to game. say some really, really weird stuff. Like, you know, I'll kiss you, I'll kiss you right on the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, where's your, he's like, where's your dad? I'll kiss your dad right on the mouth. It's like, like, man, I used to say really fucked up shit to guys. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so, you know, you know, just to try to give him to back off. Like awesome, man. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, I never was really too, you know, I was never, I never stopped myself from, from saying things if I knew, 
you know, a guy's girlfriend's name or, or a family member's name. I, you know, I never stopped myself at all. And so sometimes it would get pretty gutless, but, um, you know, sometimes it would also draw a penalty or, you know, it would, it would get in the guy's grill. You, sometimes yeah, you, you had something where you could get in his grill so bad that yeah. it's a horrible game. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, this is all gamesmanship, you know. So. And I'm happy you said that because one story comes to mind. Uh, when I was in Windsor, we we're playing Owen Sound and Jordan Bennington. I hate that fucking guy. But anyway, so he said <laughs> something to me. He, one of our guys, and it happens because, you know, with the trades, you know, your buddies with a guy. Mackenzie Braid was on our team. He got traded to Owen Sound, and we had hung out, and he knew my girlfriend. She was a townie, and um, she was a, I outkicked my coverage on this one. So, anyways, Bennington had said something to me about her name. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to talk to Hallie after the game. And I just – I got livid. So, I, I found out – mentioned the name, yeah. Yes. Oh, I, I was fuming. So, I did my homework on him, found out, because he's from Richmond Hill, that my old roommate from Kingston actually took down his sister. So, I'm like, hey, Bennington <laughs> – at least, Al, at least my sister Allie's not getting filled by the whole team. Oh, he fucking no. lost me. Tried squirting me with a water bottle. But that's fine. Oh, it was great. Oh man, are you gonna leave that in? Oh. Absolutely, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Fuck, I hate Benner. <laughs> oh man. So no, spe speaking of which, next week on the show, Jordan Bennington. Oh jeez, am I kidding? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, I don't know if the fucking the Zoom is big enough for that guy's fucking schnoz. Guys <laughs> <laughs> are ruthless. Oh my god! I, just, I hate that guy. He, he gets he, he's my nemesis. So, um, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll do some editing on that. But um, going no, we won't. To, <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> I'll leave it in. Absolutely going, no. You're absolutely leaving that in there. Still, I won't allow you to take it out. Get out of here. Stu, going back to that year with New York, uh, with uh, the Winter Classic, like that must have been like how close did you get called back up to that game? Was that did you kind of circle that on your calendar once you got back up? Yeah, I think I think less than a month. Um, so yeah, it was, and then obviously the cameras following you around and stuff, following the team around. Um, you know, you you kind of it, it builds up the game even more because you're just around, you're around it every day, and you're being reminded of what's kind of coming and. Um, you guys were good too. Like that was the game. Yeah. You guys won that to that get the first place. Yeah, yeah, we were we were good. Um, we had a really strong regular season that year. Uh, you know, we were we were firing on all cylinders. I, I was really fortunate to, to kind of walk into a situation getting called up where the team was playing really well. Um, you know, as I'm sure you guys have seen, there's there's a lot of times you you know if you if you enter a lineup and, and the team doesn't play well even if you had an okay game and you know all of a sudden you lose a few it's like yeah you're back down so um, you know obviously a lot of that out of your control but I just was really fortunate to kind of land there at a time where they were they were beating a lot of teams and uh, you know not that I had anything to do with it really even it was just but you find a way to stay in the lineup, right? When things are going well. And, and, and the, the role that you played, that's a big part of it, right? You're not going to be the guy to go out and, and put up uh, two and two, but, you know, being a plus player and, and playing with that edge, right? If things are going well, you'll stay in the lineup. And I imagine, so I really have been dying to ask you, I'm a huge fan of this John Tortorella, friend of the program here. Oh, we yeah. Love him. Um, and Sports. what was that like? What kind of impact did he have on you? And, and you know, like he gets a lot of shit from people. I appreciate a, you know, he's authentic. He, what, what stuck with me when he got fined after they lost to Tampa and he said, as a coach myself, well, guys, there's no moral victories this time of year. Like that, that is fucking 100% true with this generation of kids. 
there's just way too much coddling. And it wasn't like that when, when we came through and it teaches an important lesson. Like, and, and I think that John hit the nail on the head, right? Like, Hey, at the end of the day, this is a business and, and we're trying to win and we didn't win and there's no sugarcoating it. And I fucking love that. And I'm a big fan of his. So is Dwayne. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about what it was like playing for John? Yeah, I, I, you know, in my short time there, I, I really got along well with him. Uh, you know, he, he's in your ear yelling at you one moment, but the next, you know, you're, you're kind of understanding that, that, you know, he, he does this stuff for, you know, reasons that, that sometimes are, are beyond your knowledge when he's, when he's yelling at you or when he's hard on you, but um, going through that and, and being able to play for somebody like that, it, it really kind of does give you perspective that, you know, you can get a lot more out of yourself at times that you think you're kind of maxed out. And uh, he, he brings out the best in players. I've always said that about him. I have a lot of respect for him as a coach. Um, you know, he, he taught me kind of how hard the game is if you, if you want to be your best, um, you know, and, and fulfill your potential. So I think he's helped a lot of guys realize that in, in the different stops he's made around the NHL. Um, you know, you run into guys who played with him, played for him, sorry, for, for different organizations. And, um, you know, the players actually really like him. I know he seems a bit edgy on, on a lot of the media stuff, but if you ask most guys that played for him, they really respect him and they like him a lot. Well, he's a guy that strikes me yeah. as like, hey, he's going to go to war for his guys, right? And, and that's that kind of mentality that you need, like the next man up. Take a look to your left, to your right. Are these guys going to go through a fucking wall for me? Yes. Then that's kind of breeds that, that fucking cohesion, right? That we see on teams that, that go far, that have success. And, and he always, you know, to me from the outside looking in, it seems like guys would go through a wall for him. And when you have that, and I'm sure you as a coach now, like for me as a young coach, I realized that I'm doing the things that coaches that I had did really well. Like DJ Smith, who's now in Ottawa, it was my assistant in Windsor a lot of what I do is based on what him and Bobby Bugner did in Windsor with me. And I'm sure you're the same way besides torts, you now as a coach who, who um, I guess who is the bigger, biggest influence on you. And, and you know, if, if, you know, if you kind of keyed in on certain coaches of yours and, and try to do what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for me being at the level I'm at now, I actually look back to junior hockey as kind of a, a good guide for me. I had a really good experience playing for Kevin Hartzell in Sioux Falls my last year of junior hockey. And, uh, you know, he taught me a lot about the game, but also just finding consistency in, in an off-ice routine and, and you know, so many different things about life and the game that, you know, I, I realize now as, as a coach, uh, you know, you're not just coaching the player, you're coaching the individual. So it's, you know, being cognizant of that. I, I've talked with him a lot. I actually talked to Hartz probably weekly. Uh, he still consults for another team in our league, but he's always willing to kind of lend his his advice my way if I have questions that I, you know, you know, throughout navigating kind of coaches and and you know a room of, of 25 guys, it's it's a project to kind of learn how to do it all. Um, but you know, overall, it's it's been really positive, and I'm fortunate to have a guy like him to kind of bounce ideas off of. Yeah, that's a huge advantage for you, too, especially to have that relationship with them. You know, you being, you know, kind of green when it comes to coaching, uh, now coming into this role uh, that you're in now. Um, you know, going back to, you know, torts, uh, you know, um, just one of the things I've always noticed with him, and I, I think you see it the most with Columbus right now, is he gets his guys to skate through a wall for him. 
Uh, you saw it in Tampa Bay. You especially see it this year in Columbus, you know, seeing as last year at the deadline, they essentially mortgaged the entire franchise. They kind of like, we're, go, go, we're going all in right now to, to win this. And then to lose all the talent they did, I and mean, that's nothing against the guys that they still have there, um, but, you know, to lose the talent that they did, you know, the, you know, coming into this season and still to play at the level they did, it just really goes to show how great of a coach Tortorella is. And just, the, like, you see it in the emotion on the bench. Um, you know, we'll get into it in a, in a little bit here. But, you know, the, you know, the brawl with, uh, you know, with Prust, Bolton that you were involved with, with, with uh, you know, uh, Kami Jansen and uh, Carter. But, uh, you know, just, you know, I remember listening back to that audio and just the first thing you hear is the announcers talking about Tortorella losing his fucking mind on the bench. And just like you knew it was coming, but like that's what you got from Torts. You just got raw emotion, and he made you want to skate through a fucking wall for him. And I, like I said, like I said, man, you know, I, if I if I were to if I were to play in the national, man, if I could pick any coach that I'd want to play for, I think he's the one. I mean, you know, he he gets the best out of you. He, he either does it the easy, you know, he, he, easy way or the hard way. You know, he, you know, he, he's not a, he's not afraid to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, with with coaches like that, you know, some guys might not like him, but. It's almost like you can't help but to respect them, you know, and, and you know they want the best for you. So I think that's the biggest thing is that I've kind of taken into coaching too is that, you know, you, you've got to show the players that, you know, you're you're in it for them. And, and you know, you've got to you, – you can't lose the room. You can't afford to, to do things that would make your players uh, question whether, you know, you're in this for them and, and putting them first. And I think the result that you get from – from uh you know doing it the right way is is that your players hopefully come playoff time will skate through a wall for you so you know that that's kind of my mentality is that you know if you if you nurture these relationships properly and and you you know give players the hard conversations and the hard news sometimes when you have to and you're just transparent with them like that's all they really want is is a coach that's honest with them and uh, if you show them that you'll do that, I think you'll have their respect. And if you have their respect, then I think you're, you'll get that result that you're talking about there where, where they'll be willing to skate through a wall for you. And, you know, later in the season, that's the difference in playoffs. So uh, that's that's a huge part of my coaching philosophy, and, and I'm glad you touched on that. Yeah, and I think I'd rather bring up a great point, both of you, because I, as, as players, we've all been – I want to say lied to, but, you know, things have been sugar-coated. And, and having that honesty – even if it's the hard news, you just feel fucking way better at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. At least you're being real with me. And, and to hear you incorporate that into what you do, I'm sure, especially being a young coach, is going to make guys buy into what you're doing even more. And, and I, I can't wait to follow you, Stu. I think you're going to have a ton of success there. And that's an ultra-competitive league that I think is only getting better and better. Um, so, I mean, you know, on that note, best of luck. And I can't wait to see what happens there. But you touched on the brawl a little bit. Can we delve into this quickly? Because I know you, you've talked about it in the other podcast, but you guys were both really good teams that year, right? Mm-hmm. You, uh, the Rangers were a little bit, uh, I think, statistically better than the Devils. Um, but what led up to it? Was it, was it a fight um, in the last matchup? I'm trying to find it here. Um, do you remember That's leading all- up to it? So Prust and Rupp had already fought off the opening draw uh, at the Prudential Center in Jersey, they had already fought Bolton and Jansen. Uh, I don't know if it was the previous game, but it was relatively recent. It was that season. Uh, so they started a game off that way. And so I don't know if it was in response. Uh, DeBoer decided he was going to go with that lineup to start at MSG. I don't know, maybe to kind of send a message. Um, 
and then also kind of on the side too, uh, Brandon Dubinsky, who was, who was playing for the Rangers at the time, uh, had fought Ryan Carter uh, at their building. Relatively. Oh, he fucked up his sinuses, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, so, so kind of a, a, a few different incidents, a couple different incidents maybe leading up to it. But, um, you know, more than anything, I think it was probably the lineup that they decided they were going to start. So do me a favor. Take me back into that locker room and share what you can here. But, you know, we've known his torch as being a fiery guy. Pete DeBurr puts out those two fucking guys, those winger, the big wingers. Yep. And um, when you guys come in and see that starting lineup, what what was said in that locker room uh, to you guys, right? Like, and for you, I mean, the blood must have been fucking flowing, right? Like, yeah. So they had, um, you know, like usually in the room they'll write up the the away team lineup, um, but they had them drawn up as their fourth line. Like that's kind of usually you just put it in order. Uh, but you don't always start the first line, right? So uh, the way Torts did it, he actually – I don't think they even would circle it or anything. He'd just come in and read uh, what the away team was going with for, for their lineup, uh, and then he would read our lineup. Um, and, you know, he basically came in and, and said that they're starting these guys, and he, you could tell he was a little agitated about it. And then he announced that, wow. um, you know, that I was going to be playing up front. and. Hey, Stu, you're taking the draw, buddy. Mix in some face-offs here. <laughs> Message received. So, um, but no, he didn't, he didn't tell us to do it. Um, I don't, he's, he's never been that way towards me. Like, he's never, ever told me to fight. He never did that. Uh, I never heard him do that with anyone else. Um, and I respect the hell out of that because it's the best coaches that don't be ask for Yeah, you can sense when it might be a good time or maybe when he's hinting at it, but. Um, but he certainly never got overly involved in that. And, and I respected him for that too. And I don't think he had any issue with the lineup that we had getting guys, guys to go ahead and do it. So, so amongst yourselves though, yeah. was there kind of a, you know, a nod down the line to, to you and, and, you know, Rupper, like, Hey, like, you know, we're ready for what comes here, but um, you know, they kind of made the first, Dubur made the first chest or chest move there with putting those fucking guys out there. Right. Like, I, I can't imagine – I've been in a couple scraps, and when you know it's coming, like, that's some fucking anxious moments, right? You would yeah. know more than us. So, what, what, like, what's that like? The fi- Even the opening – the fucking anthem playing, the, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, we knew what was going to happen, obviously. Um, it's almost like I think you get more nervous if you, if you have a long time to think about a fight. Like if you're if you're going online in your pregame nap, if you're going on to hockey fights and watching all the guys' recent fights and all that, um, just I guess speaking just for myself, I, I think that kind of it kind of psychs you out a little bit, and you kind of start thinking maybe you know you don't have any business fighting this guy, or like oh he throws lefts, or you know you see something you didn't want to see. I think you're better off just going into it and and not overthinking it. So, you know, since you re- since we realized that we were going to be fighting, like, pretty quickly before the, the opening draw, it wasn't like we had a bunch of time to let it set in. Uh, you know, I didn't have, like, extreme nerves about it. Um, but, you know, certainly – Who did you end up fighting, Carter? Yeah, I fought Carter. He it, was cut pretty up. bad at the end of that, eh? Yeah, I got, I got one good one in. You got him. him. He, he had a couple in on me, too, though. He, he throws hard, so – 
we had a good scrap. The other ones were good too. Like Krusty went for ages yeah. with Danny. Like they, they never wanted to stop, obviously. Um, and then Rupper and Bolts were throwing absolute bombs. And like those There's guys. Abby's. Those guys are dangerous, Dude. man. Like both and, of those guys are dangerous. <laughs> and so, ob yeah, obviously, obviously the game has changed too. Like, you know, when it comes to fighting between back then and now. Um, you know, because I, I even mentioned to Janny, like, you know, like they used to let you guys fucking go, man. Like, I, I watched a couple of Janny's fights, and there was one where it started behind the net and ended up at the opposite blue line, and the refs just let him go, just let him go. It's different now today. And, like, another thing, too. Look at the face off <laughs> one there. Look at the face. I love it. I, I love right it. above the dot. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally. Like literally, you get you you get thrown you get thrown in the box for that today. Um, how easy is that? How easy is it in that picture to tell that I I've never taken. <laughs> You've never taken a face <laughs> But one of the things like I, I, I did notice. Player. Yeah, fuck, I love it. One of the things I did notice, you know, you know, you know, you know, preparing for this this episode was because you were you were not you were not afraid. I, I was it. I'm not sure what the rule is. Um, but you helmet off a couple uh every once in a while you know not a lot of guys would do that and like is it is it you're not allowed to take your own helmet off or you get a penalty or uh, i think that's not yeah, so in that way since the last lockout um, yeah that's when they implemented that rule that you couldn't take your helmets off the way it kind of used to to work is like it was kind of uh i guess a little bit of part of the code if you'd call it that um, an unwritten rule per se yeah if a guy's got a visor on like, I didn't wear a visor. So, if a guy's got a, a visor on, then, you know, we're both going to take our helmets off and then yeah. the field's even, you know? So, like, you kind of just do it that way because visor versus no visor. Like, it, it, and, you know, tip of the cap to, to cards, too, for, for agreeing to do that. Some guys will wear a visor and then they don't want to take it off. And it's like, well, it's a pretty pretty good advantage you got on a guy without one. You know, a lot, lot more face to hit there. So, um yeah that's kind of just the way i always handled it when when you know guys would have visors on i, I was pretty used to that too because in the american league you had to wear visors so and i'd played most of my career to that point in the a so um you know in that league it was basically all the fights were happening off the face-offs and it was it was you know helmets off every single time so I remember, you know, a lot more early in my career when we did it that way with the helmets off. I remember a lot more often uh, showing up to a Monday practice after a couple fights on the weekend and just trying to put that helmet on. And it's just like you can feel the knots on the side of your head. You know, it's just it, it was brutal. But um, that, that was, was kind of just hard. That was pretty common back then to, to do it that way. Man, now you fought some heavies. If now, if you take your helmet off, I think yeah, you get an extra penalty. Yep. Um, you know the visors now. All the all the kids coming into the league have to wear visors, so it's a relatively even playing field for most guys anyway. Um, I yeah. was, and, and then too that the refs are coming in now, so it's just a different. Um, it's kind of just a different playing field, I guess, with with the whole fighting thing. Um, you know, you hate to see guys get hurt and stuff, but. I'm worried too now with with the way I see these linesmen coming in so quickly. Like guys still have a lot of energy in them to to throw some bombs and one of these lines you know, is going to eat one. Yeah, they're they're going to eat yeah, one. Absolutely. Exactly. You see these guys, you know, spider crawling their way into the fight, and it's like well, they're man, getting they're getting horny real quick, man. These lines, some of these lines are fucking listen, horny to get in there. Listen, the way I see it, man, is you know you're a grown man. Like you know what I mean. You you both make the decision that this is going to happen, whether 
for whatever reason it might be happening, whether it be a dirty hit or you're trying to fire up the fucking boys. And, you know, you guys are men, you're making this decision. Let, you know, let, let them have at it. Let them do it. Like, you know, I get you're trying to protect the players, integrity of the game, whatever. And I get, like, it's, it's, it's starting to be phased out. But, you know, it's always going to be a part of the game. It's been the part of a game for, you know, close to a century. Like, it's, I, I don't think it's ever going to go away. But if two, two guys decide to, you know, to, to drop the mitts and settle something, let them do it. You know, don't, you know, don't just jump in there and put yourself in danger. Like, let them handle it. You know, it's, it's a part of the game. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I don't know how much more they're going to modify it. Um, like we're kind of explaining here, I guess, going in circles about how it's, how it's changed so much, how fighting has changed. Um, you know, maybe it will be a part of the game forever, but I do think at a certain point, if you're going to take, you know, the fight out of the fight and, and you're going to come in right away and start breaking them up right away and put all these stipulations on it to where it's not really a fight anymore. I think at that point, maybe you just do away with it. Yeah. Uh, before it gets to that point so I'm good with the way things are now I think it's still it's still a very emotional game there's players moving in all directions um, you know there are hits that happen that the refs can't really see if it we was need some way to police ourselves right right so that stuff still goes on I, I'm good with the way it's at right now um, but you know with that said I'm I wouldn't say I'm super confident that we're going to see it in the game in the next 20 years so I think that's a fair point. Last point on this, the funniest part to me outside of your face-off stance, which is an all-time moment, um, Salvador, right off the hop, like right when it happens, he kind of just stands there like – So dusty. Yeah, right? Like what, what the fuck? <laughs> turns around. Oh, man. But, hey, right when you got up, so you guys go to the ice, you get up and you land – man, first of all, Carter was throwing heavy rights. Like, fuck, props to you for hanging in there. You get up from – you guys both fall to the ground. You get up, and I think that's when you land a real good right and you guys fall again. That was a good scrap, man. I love I, – I haven't seen I that video it. in years, man. That's awesome. Thank you for giving us a little insight into that. Hey, yeah, so after that, was the blood still flowing in the box, Absolutely. you know, post-fight? We were so gassed. Like, I don't know. I, and I don't know if it was because our heart rates were up, you know, so high leading up to it. You know, it's like, it's like you felt like the fights were longer than they were um, because, you know, you had the fans going. I think people in the crowd started to put it together, like what was going on. Uh, and then, you know, when, when the sticks dropped and you hear the crowd going, it just, I, I think it got everybody so like jacked up and we, we just put so much emotion into the fight that like, Prusty said it best in the in the other uh, interview that I did, the Zoom interview. You know, it was almost like we were so tired that we just had nothing to say in the box, and it was yeah. like we were chirping the other guy. We, we weren't even really talking to each other for a while. It was just like, just huffing and puffing, getting back to neutral. Yeah, like what just happened there? Jeez. So, um, but yeah, no, that was crazy. Probably you know my highlight of of my short NHL career. Um, kind of an odd thing to be a part of but uh it's it, it's so funny to look back on it just the way that the whole thing developed and and now you know I, I had mentioned this you know before we started uh before we started recording here I run into carts all the time now here in Minneapolis and and he's such a good guy we've kind of become buds and it's just kind of funny the whole the way the whole thing shook out for sure for sure now did you stick with that team through the playoffs were you a black ace or yeah, so I was I was on the team, um, and yeah, I played through playoffs that year. Uh, I think I was scratched the final game, 
uh, in Jersey. But other than that, I, I played in all of them. I didn't play a whole lot. I'll tell you that. I think there was, there were a few where I was like sub five minutes, but you know, Torts had a short leash on me. You know, I, I probably would too as a coach. Um, you know, just with the way I played, I had to get the puck out of the zone. I, I didn't have a leash because I wasn't going to provide offense. So, um, you know, I accepted that role. But uh, so, yeah, I, I was in the playoffs. You probably just didn't don't you probably didn't notice me much. <laughs> what was what, what was that? At, what was that atmosphere like? Obviously, you know, that's one of the one of the uh, all time rivalries, at least in that division, you know, the Rangers and the too. Devils. You know what I mean? Like that, those buildings had to be absolutely fucking electric, you know, just, you know, a uh, playoff uh, series between them two guys. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I, you know, watching the playoffs right now, obviously with no fans, it's just not the same, you know, hearing the roar of the crowd, but that those two teams specifically, like the closest thing we've ever had to that obviously is probably here in Buffalo is us in Toronto, which it hasn't really been, much of a rivalry because you know we've been off the radar for a decade now and Toronto's just fucking Toronto and they're just a shit show altogether but uh you know it's um you know what what's that atmosphere like you know how, you know the, the fans just, just being on the bench on the ice just soaking all that shit in yeah yeah it's it was intense um like games uh when we'd go to Jersey or when we'd go play the Islanders at their barn uh, you know, we brought a lot of fans with us. That's just kind of how it was back then. So you almost felt like it was a home game in their barns too. And I think that kind of added fuel to the fire uh, with the opponents kind of getting a little bit more jammed up for the game. They, they knew that, you know, we were coming to town and that we were bringing fans and that we were going to kind of challenge them. And I remember, uh, it's funny because you mentioned, you know, college hockey atmosphere. I, I think it's a little bit more like that. Uh, you know, I think the NHL in general, your, your fan base is probably a little bit more civilized where you head out east to some of these cities. And it's like, I remember, you know, playing the Islanders at home and it was just common that you just look up in the stands and there's a big wrinkle of people and then security rushing up and there's just a brawl going oh, on. I love a good oh my God. Yeah. Well, it, it was intense. Like I, I loved it, you know, like being on the bench and seeing it happen and just the, the raw emotion from the fan base. Uh, in some of those eastern cities is, is different than anywhere else in the league. Well, speaking of emotion, um, later on in your career, you get to, you know, sign with the Wild. What was that first game in the Excel Center like for you? It was awesome. So I had, I had played one game there uh, with the Rangers on the road against the Wild. Um, but playing for them and, and putting the jersey on and everything, I was just like, wow, this, this is amazing because I had spent a large part of, of you know, my childhood – uh, at least in through, you know, middle school, high school, watching the wild and being a fan of the wild. So, um, you know, that was a dream come true, very similar to, to the Gophers and not something that I had anticipated would ever happen. But uh, when it came to fruition and, and I got out there for warmups, I remember the first game that I played, I was just like, wow, this, this is amazing. It was, it was something else. And, um, you know, also obviously very special to have my family and, you know, extended family and all that come see me play it was it was really cool yeah on cloud nine I can't imagine that that must have been a whole ton of fun I know that you battled with some injuries there especially uh, towards the end with San Diego the looming back surgery right like people don't get with something like that I attribute it to like what a hip surgery is for goalies because you can't do anything on the ice without using your core and your back right so yeah. you, make, you know, like a lot of guys do later on, I, I had to make the same decision after my last knee surgery. You, you think about your quality of life 
And I remember best to a doctor. One of my surgeons said to me after the last surgery, do you want to be able to walk your kids to the bus stop? And at the time I had no kids. I wasn't as serious. I'm like, the fuck's this guy talking about? And he's like, if, if you continue playing, and even, you know, with, uh, you know, a knee replacement, you're going to be, you know, having a cane to walk when you're 30. And I'm like, as hard as it is, you make that decision that, hey, like, there is more to life than playing hockey. I struggled right away. We crave that structure as hockey players, right? Being part of a team. I was able to catch on with a Division three team here coaching, uh, and that helped a lot. What was that transition like for you? Did you know that, you know, you were going to go try to go back to the U and, and coach with the Gophers? And it sounds like you had a really great relationship with, with Coach Motsko, who's one of the college greats, right? I love what he's able to do. Uh, and, you know, what was that like? Yeah, so I actually didn't know Bob well. Um, I, I think we had met before, but never really had a long conversation. Um, so coming back, I actually kind of utilized my other resources, people that I knew from the program just by, you know, working out there and, and you know, having played there before and, and staying connected with the alumni. Uh, they kind of helped me get connected with Bob, and he eventually gave me the opportunity to, to jump aboard. But um, yeah, so it wasn't like I, I went to him or knew that I was going to be able to do that. Um, I just, I started thinking about, you know, Hey, I want to, I want to finish my degree. It's something that, uh, I always wanted to do and, and make sure that I got done. And, um, so, so once I decided that I wanted to do that, I also knew I wanted to get into coaching hockey. So I figured, you know, what better position than, than to go in and do that and be on the same schedule as the guys on the team. And, and just try to absorb as much as I could from their current coaches. And uh, so that's what I did. And I learned a lot from Bob about managing a team and, and Raboyne and Gordon there as well. Those guys are great. So I owe a lot to them for kind of showing me the ropes as a coach and it's helped kind of lead me to where I'm at now. So uh, I still keep in touch with those guys. I, I ask for advice from them all the time. I'm always looking for ways to, to improve. So, um, you know, it, it's been a blast to have that connection. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't really know for sure that I was going to do it really until the summer after I was done. So we'll wrap it up here soon. I know we appreciate the time you've taken it with us here. Um, looking forward to the next step. Um, well, first of all, I gotta say you weren't, you were a pretty, uh, pretty good student. You had a four Oh when you played, right? I did. I did. I don't know. Not a big deal. <laughs> I did. So yeah, when I played there and then I actually kind of challenged myself to keep it going when I came back to school. So, well, you graduated uh, in, in three years, right? Total. Yeah. Yeah. So not strong and, and kept it. So, um, I actually, so it actually ended up being like a, a three, nine, eight, seven or something like that, because there was a freshman writing class that I took an A minus in. Ah, fuck. <laughs> I wanted to go back and, and retake a freshman writing class yeah. to have a 4.0. It wasn't really that important <laughs> to me. Um, no, I don't know. I always enjoyed, like, challenging myself with academics. And honestly, I think it kind of kept me interested going back as an older guy because, you know, the classes that you don't take online and you're in the classroom with a bunch of kids, like – it, it's taxing you know you're, you're, you're thinking about like God, i was the old guy in the back too i, I went back at 24 and oh, I so you know yeah and, yeah and, um, you get it. it's tough to do so you know i kind of looked at it as like a side challenge just kind of kept my eyes on that and trying to be successful with it but um it was, so it was tough right away but after you get used to it it's actually kind of funny and, and you find some some comic relief from being oh hard. for sure and once you get into that yeah. rhythm like with anything you get buzzing and and you get going and did you start so you studied communications right 
Yeah, yeah. One thing that was interesting to me, because I, I had a communications major and a coaching minor here, and the one interesting aspect for me was just how important nonverbal communication and, and different verbal cues can, you know, kind of translate into coaching and, and how I'm sending my message. So to see the fusion of the two, I'm sure that you had some of that too. And it's really interesting about not only – you know, the substance of what you're saying, but the delivery just as much so is important, right? And, and how you deliver this, not just with the pregame speeches, but, you know, when you're trying to connect with a player, it's like a teacher with a student, right? And, and everybody learns in a different way. So, yeah. you know, it, it, I think it's, it's an, it'd be a good, uh, a good base or, uh, you know, for any future coaches, if you're undecided, whether it's a minor or not, I think communications is, is a great tool for us coaches to have. For sure. For sure. And I actually, so I kind of shaped my degree. I was fortunate enough to have an academic advisor, Chris Cords, that helped me get signed up for all my classes, helped me work through my program and all that. Double clicks for Chris. What a guy. Right. Yeah, I know. But he, he was great because he worked with the communications department, like knowing that I wanted to be a coach. Like I knew when I went back to school, like I want to coach hundred percent. And so I really dove into it. Um, and he knew that I wanted to eventually do that. So we kind of developed some workarounds where I could uh, do stuff related to coaching. So I actually studied for, for two of my classes. I did like an academic internship. Uh, and I also did, uh, what was the other thing I did? It was like a basically distance learning thing for a semester where I would write papers and, and study coaching philosophies and things like that. That's fascinating. So it was really good because I kind of got to connect what I wanted to do leaving school with what I was doing in school. And I wanted to make it actually a valuable situation for me instead of just kind of rolling through a bunch of credits that have nothing to do with anything that I'm passionate about. Uh, it kind of helped me connect the dots and, and really get uh, as much as I could out of the experience of going back to school. So like that kind of made it fun for me too, because I was able to, to kind of study coaching throughout the two years that I was in school there. So I was coaching the team, and then, you know, taking some other classes, but then a large part of it was, was studying coaching. So uh, it was really good for me. I couldn't have asked for a better setup. No, it's going to, I'm sure it's going to serve you well here in the future, man. I, I look for big things that come from the Minnesota magicians. It, it's, it's going to be fun to watch you guys, you know, and you step into this because like you're young by coaching standards and the way that you, you know, that competitive drive that was able to you know, you lend yourself to your playing career and, and, you know, battle through the adversity. It's not like that stops, right? It's in, you look, you, you take on this next challenge as a coach where, you know, you're starting off in a great spot being a head coach of an NA team, uh, but the sky's the limit, right? And, and you have that inner hunger where, you know, getting back to the national or co college, whatever your end goal is, it's going to be fun to see. Cause I mean, no doubt in my mind, you're going to get there uh, in short order. So it's going to be fun to, to, to watch. So I appreciate you sharing that insight uh, for any, you know, aspiring coaches or even young players. I think that they get a lot out of this having guys like you on. So really appreciate that. Uh, before we wrap up, Dwayne, you got anything last notes, any questions for? Oh, no, just, you know, uh, we were, we were mentioned earlier, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask going back to that winter classic you played in, uh, you know, we were talking about fan atmosphere and just, you know, just a surreal moments that you look back on. It's like, wow, man, this is, this is amazing. You know, we had, you know, the very first Winter Classic here in Buffalo um, that I was, you know, lucky enough to attend. Uh, just, you know, you know, a lot of that was always, it was always described as being in a giant snow globe because I remember, you know, it was constantly a consistent, it wasn't torrential downpour snow, but it was a consistent slow snowfall, like one of those, one of those snowfalls where, where, where particular 
particularly used to here in Buffalo. And they had to bring out shovels and the Zamboni, like almost every other commercial break, just to maintain the ice. And I remember, man, we were talking about just like rowdy, rowdy uh, fan atmospheres. I remember I was – now, I slept out for these tickets I went to, at the Bills Fieldhouse. The night they announced the things, it was like a giant – Dude, it was a fucking Bills tailgate. Man. Yeah, it was a huge. Yeah, and wild, I like some wild sports fans in, in Buffalo too. Oh my god! <laughs> I, 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 hold on, I got, I got, I got another good story. If you just, you know, you give me the floor here. Uh, but you know, we were, you know, this is before, this is before the table breaking and shit like that. But you know, I remember we were starting fires and metal, like metal garbage things, while we were sleeping out in this shit, and they had paid out of. So like, literally, we we're out of all like, like. Go, 20 fires in these big metal garbages and the paint's burning off and all it's just the worst fucking smell in the world and we're sleeping out drinking like it's the fucking end of the world and and we, it finally comes the tickets are going on sale and they announce because you know they they released so many tickets to like StubHub or whoever you know was back then you know to, for them to sell and then they released so many for whatever reason they released a bunch of tickets to toronto for what reason we were playing Fuck i don't know why exactly i fucking hate the maple leafs Fuck all of those fucking clowns. It's not get you started here. Fucking assholes. Um, you know, just so you know, Stu, I am trying to revive the whole, you know, Sabres Toronto rivalry by, you know, saying fuck the Leafs at least by once every once, once, once every week. You know, <laughs> yeah. I oh my god, when they when they lost when they lost to David Ayers as Zamboni driver. You you go back to my Twitter. Oh my god, man! I did laps around my fucking. You were active on Twitter. Oh, dude, I was trending. I was fucking trending. Stirring <laughs> oh, the pot. Stirring the pot, baby. Oh, yeah, you know, um, it was it was awesome. And then when they got eliminated this year in the play and they couldn't even fucking make the first round of the playoffs, they go fuck themselves. Uh, you know, $35 million of payroll tied up in four players. <laughs> they got, they well, lost the Dwayne, tell us how you really feel. Fuck. Oh, I hate them all. Hey, so what happened uh, back I, in the in the parking lot? So okay, so regardless, we get we get the ticket lines, you know, and, and they tell us, oh, by the way, only four tickets per person. You're allowed to buy four tickets, and I'm like, oh, that'd have been some fucking great information to be, you know, re- you know, released, you know, before we, you know, have been you know, sleeping out here all night. So I have me and my girlfriend's uncle with me my, now. Uh, her her cousin had slept there with me most of the night, and then her uncle comes in, takes his place, whatever. And you know, I I'm I am cooked, man, absolutely cooked. And I lost I lost my mind, absolutely lost my mind. The tickets, I'm surprised they even sold me tickets. But you know, you know, I ended up being this whole shtick with my dad because I had to make the decision because my dad decided last second that he wanted to go, and I like I had already bought the tickets for my girlfriend's family, so. That was a thing with me and my dad for a while, you know, just every once in a while, you get a few drinks up at a family. Event. Like, hey, remember that time you, you gave that those winter classic tickets to your girlfriend and not me, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah, fuck you, Dwayne. <laughs> yeah, you know, we on the blood, blood, blood apparently isn't thicker than water. Huh? But, you know, you always, I still hear it to this day. I'm 30, I'm mean, 33 years old in a week. But I remember just that whole atmosphere um, being at that game. Just, it was so rowdy and just so insane. I remember with that constant snow, uh, we were sitting around a bunch of Penguins fans, and I, 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 I hadn't really been drinking. And, you know, I, somebody, somebody threw a snowball at somebody who was sitting next. I didn't even know him. And I'm just like, we're just going back and forth. And I had long hair. I've always had longer hair. And he's like, nice, nice, you know, uh, nice pigtail. 
you know, you know, whatever he said. And, and it's like, yeah, from whatever my response was, yeah, your mom loves pulling on my pigtails. Oh, fuck, <laughs> and it started an absolute onslaught in our section of snow of a snowball fight, man. And I'm pretty sure we got on TV. But just that, that awesome. whole experience, that whole experience, like we, we, we were going at it with these Penguins fans, man. But the best part about it is, here's the thing about buffalo is if if you're if you're in trouble and it, like we're, we're all one big family whether it's a bills game or when the sabers go at the sabers game we're one big family. we come to each other's defense man and like i had people left and right of me just standing behind me ready to go squaring off like let's fucking go Unbelievable. Are oh, oh it was amazing absolutely amazing one of my all-time favorite experiences of well, fan. even when we lost we lost the game in the shootout it's a good game. The game the shoot. Oh, it's a great game. Absolutely great game. Like I said, we were looking at a giant snowball. It was it was absolutely amazing. It, you know, it's kind um, of fun I, when, I when the weather does go sideways. Not for the players, but I bet for the fans, it gets a little bit more rowdy when you get it snowing and all that. And well, oh your yeah, guys, your guys' game was too warm, right? So you pushed it back. Like that must have been difficult. Like that two hours, right? Like you get ready to go. We're on a schedule. What was that like? We had we actually had really good weather. We ended up having like a, a perfect day for it uh, at the at the one in Philly. I had played for I had played in one actually in the American League though. I think the year before or two years before in Hartford, and it was it was just so bad. Like it was it was not set up very well, and it was so cold. I want to say it was like minus ten degrees outside. Oh fuck! So like we were freezing, and like nobody really wanted to play. He's dying. Well, it's and, in the national. They yeah. have like the glove warmers and everything. Yeah, the hats on over yeah. the helmets and stuff. It was yeah. It was it, you, you couldn't even play. The wind would come and like blow up all the snow off the ice and ice chunks hitting you <laughs> in the face. And stuff. It was just like have you seen, like let's just get out of here. You know, have you seen on. Mystery Alaska? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, you remember the scene where it was so cold that the Rangers players were filtering back and forth between the. Uh, between the uh, the lodge just to warm up because it was so yeah, so cold, yeah. and they had Lionel was it Lionel Richie singing the net the, the, the anthem extremely slowly. So like, like, they're like they're like take they're like take they're like take the cameras or it was Little Richard it was Little Richard I'm sorry. Uh, they're just like take the cameras off and the the Rangers players look miserable. They're just absolutely freezing. It was like I I I I, I was, like, that was Stu's say that that's the first like, was oh my god yeah the team. What what what'd you say? Who, who's who's like the was it Russell Crowe in that movie? Is like the yeah yeah yeah. Like, one of my honest <laughs> to God, I will I will I will die on this hill. That is one of the most underrated hockey movies of all time, and still to this day my favorite hockey movie, hands down. That scene where uh, they're, in the, they're in the they're in the huh? I might have to go back and watch it now that you reminded me of it. Oh, I yeah. the scene, the, Stu, the scene where. Uh, uh, Skank Martin gets hit in the face with the shovel. Skank and then, <laughs> and Russell Crowe handles it in the locker room. He's just like, this person, this you know, said it to this person. This said, I forget her name. Uh, you know, because he came to the walk. He's like, uh, oh, I can't remember her name. You know, Sarah Kiner. It's Sarah something. He was a rock. And they're like, oh, no. She's like, she was well around like a fat walrus. And like, then he goes, flap, 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 or whatever. Oh. And, and just like, obviously, it got, it got repeated to her. She, she, she plants, him in the, plants him in the face with that shovel. And, you know, they find out it's Holt, the starting goalie. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, she smoked me a hog. I couldn't help myself. And he's like, oh, I want it. And they make him, they make him bare ass and nothing but his cock. Yeah, that's so right. 
That's a great punishment. I love a, if only people could get a glimpse of, of the creative solutions to kangaroo court and, and some oh, guys do. I love it. Hey, really quick on the winter classic, you guys late in the game. One of this, one of the reasons this was one of my favorites. Was it Briere that had a penalty shot with like 20 seconds left? Um, was it Briere? Uh, you know what? My memory doesn't even serve me well enough to say who it was. You're probably right there. Yeah, Briere took it 19.6 seconds left, and the king came up with the save, and you guys won. Did you guys yeah. get why? Why? Why would you ask him if it was Briere if you already knew? I read it earlier. I just had to slide down to find it because he. It wasn't like a penalty. I'm pretty sure McDonough. Like, uh, what? Is, hold on. This is pla good radio right here, eh, guys? And that, and that, yeah, it's uh, great. that was the game where, where Ruff actually saluted, too. He, he scored twice. Oh, no. <laughs> he did the Yager salute oh. against Philly with Yager on the <laughs> It oh, did not right. go over well. Yeah, well, well oh, I, I remember Yager was in Philly. Yeah, I remember, I remember well. one time in Buffalo, uh, we were playing the Leafs. And, and, you know, Peters, you know, he was just, you know, he, he, he was he, – he was, you know, there to fight. You know, that's that was his job. I remember of all fucking guys, you know, they, they were they I, I can't I can't remember the score of the game. We were beating Toronto and they were gonna be in the playoffs. We were gonna be playoffs. <laughs> and, and Peters there's a scuffle and he lines up on the blue line like he's getting ready to tee off with a golf shot and he skills the golf. And I'm like, who the fuck is Jason Who is Andrew Peters to do that? Like, I remember that as well. I remember that as well. <laughs> That was fucking. Oh my god, man! It was it was unbelievable. It's a good body uh, language chirp, like. Oh, oh yeah, it was, was great. Cute, I wish they could put that on a upper deck hockey card, man. I would I would buy a hundred of them. <laughs> That's a lot. I, I, Andrew Peters. I, Andrew Peters, man. I'd love to get him on. Oh my god. Uh, what might be what other, what other last story as with me? Who knows? I, I don't know. He 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 chirped me hard one time because he. Uh, Somebody posted a, a hockey card of his, and it had the price t price sticker on it still, and it said seventy five cents. It was his rookie card. I was like, "Oh, come on, Petey, seventy five cents." And he responds like, "Oh yeah, man, I know. Well, how much is yours worth?" I'm like, "Fuck you." <laughs> I I uh one last story is like you know going that based off that. I don't want to keep it too much longer, man. But I'm I'm just I'm I'm laughing right now. Uh, I remember we went to uh this past year we went to a Bills game in Cleveland. And this has to do with table crushing, a very embarrassing moment in the life of Dwayne Steinel. Uh, I remember, you know, there's tables going left and right. And Bill and Buffalo, not just Bill's fans, Buffalo fans travel well all over the country. If the Sabres are good, you will see Sabres fans all over the country. It's just the way it is. Same thing with Bill's fans. We travel very well. You saw it when we played Tennessee in the playoffs uh, that year. You know, we took over Nashville, uh, you know, and, and, this, and you know, with, uh, and then the, the – the first time in the playoffs, we took over Jacksonville. Um, but we were in Cleveland, a lot of Bills fans in Cleveland. And I remember, you know, you know, we were getting ready to go into the game after just a long night beforehand because uh, they had a bill, they had a Bills party at a bar there. And I remember there was this giant old shagging wagon, that 70s show style Winnebago. It's parked there, right? And there's this Cleveland Browns fan there. I was like, jump through the table, jump through the table. And I'm just standing there. I'm just like, you know what, dude, fuck this guy. And I just walk right through the crowd, all all Cleveland Browns fans, like, fuck these guys. And I get up on this, I get up on this big Winnebago, and I'm sitting there next to him, I'm like, yo, man, this is how it's done. <laughs> and, and the guy who owns the thing, he goes, 
Yeah, the guy, the guy who owns the Winnebago, he looks at me, he goes, don't you stand on it, don't you stand on it, and I'm like, huh? He's like, don't you stand on it, he's like, that's mine, don't you stand on it, because I think he's afraid of me denning it, and I'm like, I think it was a pile of shit regardless, uh, and I'm like, okay, so I'm like, what do you want, you scoot off it, I mean, scoot off. so I'm chirping, I'm talking all this shit to these Cleveland fans, I'm like, you know, fuck you, fuck the Browns, go Bills, like, I'm, about to, I'm about to crush this table, and the table is easily five, at least five feet away from, from the Winnebago. And I'm being told, don't you stand on it. And I'm I have my friends over here. There's me, a few Bills fans sporadically, but I'm surrounded by Browns fans. And I'm like, shit, man, I got, I, I can't, I can't do what I want. So I had to like scoot off it. And I tried so hard <laughs> and I just went forward like this. Land on the table and rolled right off. Didn't break the table didn't at break all. It <laughs> didn't break it at all, man. I, I, I was so terrified because There's you know no how that gym shit either, probably. <laughs> I was terrified because I was. I, the last thing I needed was to go on barstool and see my fucking ass completely failing at this thing. And sure as shit, the guy who I was chirping at elbow drops to the table. I'm like. Fuck him! And like he's allowed to stand and jump off the thing, you know. Screw this. Bad oh, man. Yes, dude. If you ever make it down this way, we will be sure to have you out for a tailgate or something else, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd be interested to see what it's all about. I've seen videos of you guys out there, and it, oh, it's it, you it's know, a bunch we, of we, specimens. It's it, it, specimens. That's the perfect word for it. Yeah. Uh, just uh, uh, you know, I it, it's 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 a part of the culture now. You know what I mean? I know. You know they try to handle it at a government level of saying, you know, no, no tables. You know, That's going to go over. Uh, it, it, it's not going to go over. You're not going to stop it. And yeah. uh, I remember when we were, you know, we were playing Jacksonville, yeah, Jacksonville. <laughs> uh, they tried to disallow the, the, the sale of folding tables at any store in Jacksonville when we were there. And it was, it was like, it was hilarious. Hey, they those fans like, travel well, man. Bill's yeah, we bring our own well. tables. We bring our own tables. Well, yeah, man, hey. it, like it, if we could get you in Buffalo sometime, Stu, you know, you just got to let me know. I, I would love so, to, and I'll absolutely get a hold of you guys if uh, if I'm buzzing through there at some point. Well, I can't oh, wait to, to see that you, you take over with the magicians, man. I know that those kids are going to get a ton out of you being there, man. I mean it from bottom of my heart. And here at Two Goals One Mike, you know, we'll be, we'll be pumping the tires of the Minnesota magicians this year. I can't wait, man. It's going to be great. Um, so you guys are definitely – and I saw that Kansas City – um, and Corpus Christi, they dropped out, right? But you guys are 100% in? Yes, we are all in. Um, we're, we're making it happen. So uh, we've actually kind of started, like I said, our preseason development program right now. Uh, so getting all of our guys going, working on their game, we're, we're trying to miss as little as possible and, and keep our guys progressing, at least individual, individually at this point. Uh, and then from there, you know, hopefully we, we can start on our, you know, our tentative schedule and, and see where things go for the year. But uh, it's it's been great so far. I appreciate you guys' support, and thanks for having me on. No, man, Absolutely. our pleasure. It's a lot of fun. And and like I said, we'll hopefully get you back on again soon as we get – love to hear from you as we get closer to, to the finals and, and get your pick. Right now, real quick, um, who do you got in the finals? Oof. Um – I, you know what, I haven't been, to be honest, since we've started our stuff, I haven't been watching close enough. I was watching like every game at the beginning of the playoffs. Um, I got to, I got to get back going into it. I'm seeing that the Islanders are up on, or they're tied with Philly right now. 
Um, I think they're going to be tough to beat. They're pretty deep. Uh, I'm a little bit biased there too because I've got some, some Minnesota connection with uh, with some of their guys that are that are from many and guys that have skated with in the past. But uh, I'd love to see them do well. I I, th I think they're a really strong team. I thought I thought Vancouver kind of had something going coming into this round, and then uh, you know maybe it was their year, and then you know Vegas is, is putting a quick end to that. So not not quite as confident there, but. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Islanders will be really interesting to watch going forward. They play, they play a good team game, and, and it's not always as exciting for a fan to watch. But I think uh, because of that, they don't really maybe get the credit they deserve. And you know, they're a good team with with some really good players. So Rots has done an unreal job with them, and like you said, yeah. I, I get a lot of enjoyment watching out of it just to see the way that they're able, even on their forecheck, just the way that they're able to backtrack and, and you know, fill in for each other. It's fun to watch for me. Uh, they're firing on all cylinders. They're getting production, that secondary scoring. Matt Martin's got a goal in all the series now. Uh, he's a friend of the program. And, and you know what? They're going to be a tough team to beat. Barry Trotz has got them rolling. So, I mean, that's a good pick. But, uh, no, man, we really appreciate having you on. Uh, it was a blast, and, and if we don't talk to you, best of luck this year. But, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll try to get you back on. It was an electric interview and a lot of fun for us. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. We'll have to get there for a Magicians game at some point, hopefully when all this uh, hey, COVID. I, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. So we're, we'll do our best to get the fans in the building. Uh, you know, I'll bring the folding table. If we start with fans or not, um, you know, for if it's limited or anything, you know, we're, we're, we're looking forward to getting going. So. Uh, I'd love to see you guys out here in Mini, and I'll definitely get in touch if I'm through through Buffalo at some point. Awesome. Absolutely, man. Ubicle, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again, Stu. You have a good one, bro. Thanks, guys. Have a good we'll one. See him on the next, see him on the next, the next bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you, dude. Oh. Hey, that was awesome. Stu Bickle, guys. Um, 10-year NHL pro and just an all-around great guy. Dwayne, a really bright future ahead of him for coaching, man. And you're right, the guy is a certified yes, man rocket, all right. He's a fantastic looking guy. Um, <laughs> he's somebody that, uh, you know, if I, if I was his teammate, you know, my girlfriend was there, I'd be like, Hey, hon, no, get out of here. You gotta go. It's like what Janny said about Ryan O'Reilly in St. Louis. The ladies love him. You keep, keep your guy, keep your ladies away from Ryan O'Reilly. Well, and you just know O'Reilly's got the guitar thing going for him. You know, if Stu picks up yeah. a guitar, a lot of wet panties. Oh, it's over. Okay. It's over. It's absolutely over. You, uh, you're well, done. Hey, well, this has been a long one, but it's been a fun one. Uh, we got some playoff hockey on right now. Um, you know, Philly just tied it up. Finally, Claude Drew off the schneid. Hopefully that can Yo, be my Flyers to get Jesus back. Jesus Christ with him, man. He just scored, Dwayne, so maybe, maybe – Well, I know. I, I know, but you, Jesus, man, it's, it's about time. Yeah, man. Your wife's a dyke. I know. I know. That's what you just said. Oh, I know. No. You know um, – one thing, one thing I do want to mention before we talk playoffs is we did just announce the uh, winner of the Sam Reinhardt autograph stick. Uh, Megan Fowler, congrats to her. A couple clicks for her. Uh, you know, um, you know, she's uh, she's reached out to me, and we'll get that stick to you uh, this week. Uh, coming in, coming in hot on second place. It was a tough decision to make, but uh, you know, we had uh, Ryan Lampman, um, guy who's a consistent listener to the show. Uh, it was it was a real tough call. Um, I actually had our publicist uh, Haley. Shout out to Haley for you know who puts together all our videos uh, for the show when we ever she'll, she'll be coming in hot Stu Bickle video when we drop this episode on uh, on Twitter. 
but uh, you know, I let her make the decision, and uh, you know, she picked uh, Megan Fowler, and uh, you know, you know, she is extremely uh, active on all of our social media accounts. So we appreciate that support, Megan. Thank you very much. Uh, I can't wait to get that stick, and we got a lot more giveaways planned uh, planned up coming up soon. Um, I'm, I got the wheels turning on some uh, some more memorabilia coming your way. Well, and also the. Um... Who was it here? They announced the winners for uh, Better Bit or Easy Goal. Um, oh, yep, yep, yep. Lawyers, Coach Callie, Mason Sieglo, I am Krupski, Adam Maz. Uh, Adam Maz, guy, friend of the program. I got the chance to coach him. He's a fucking beauty. Shout out to Adam Maz. Um, Kanisha's College yep. right now. I think he's playing, but he's uh, he's somebody that we got to get on the uh, Beer League beat uh, when we have him on. He's a big saver. Oh, we've already, I've actually guy. already had discussions. Him and his sister put together a really good video. I don't know if you saw it, Cully. And, uh, uh, Randy uh, Krup, Krupski, he, uh, him and his son put, it, put together a really good video. And then uh, Matt Gernold, uh, you know, he actually got real creative. He got drones, drones of cameras on involved on an overhead on his, on his back porch in his hot tub and, you know, cracked open a, cracked open a beer for uh, two goalies, one mic. A lot of good submissions. So a lot of people did donate uh, according to, um, you know, Easy Goal and Better Biscuit. We raised, uh, you know, they said a couple thousand, so, which is awesome. Absolutely awesome. You know, I couldn't be more proud of the effort that we gave and the videos that submitted. I had a lot of fun making, uh, you know, my video with, when I did my tutorial video. Um, but, you know, I can't wait to do it again next year. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll get those nets and those, uh, those better biscuits out to the winners. Um, I know they're going to send them to me and then I have to forward them out to the winners. Uh, there are a few that don't live in the area that I had a uh, uh, shout out to Katz, Andrew Katz in Long Island, uh, a friend of the program part of Trainwreck Sports and Crossing Swords podcast, um, he, he, he won himself a prize too. So, you know, we'll get, we'll get all that stuff out to you guys soon. Um, you know, thank you, Cully, for reminding me how to brain fart there on my part. Well, no, you know what? It's been a fun show. Um, we, uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, our next couple guests. I know we got some good ones coming. Um, you know, Vancouver's on the brink. Vegas is playing some good hockey. Flyers got their backs against the wall. Um, they're up right now. They just scored. Uh, JVR got a goal. They're up 2-1. So, um, you know what? Our next show, we'll have a much better picture, and then we'll do our uh, our playoff roundup after we have a better idea of what's going on. But a couple, you know, real good games on tonight. And, uh, well, obviously, by the time this will be released, it'll be done and over with. So, uh, that's why I don't want to get into it too much right now, Dwayne. Um, so, we'll save do that. Do we have? Is Vancouver on tonight? Yeah, it's is, tonight. Is that, is, it is tonight. That's right. Uh, well, we'll circle back um, on the next show and do our yep. conference finals prediction. But uh, any final closing thoughts here? I, I mean, that was a great interview. I know we're running a little bit long here, but uh, Stu Bickle was great. It was great, man. And him hearing him talk about that brawl reminded me of the old Sabres Ottawa brawl here in Buffalo. Just uh, I remember you know him mentioning you know you know when when Torts mentioned the lineup and them kind of just knowing well this is going to happen you know. He tells Stu to line up at, at the face-off dot. It reminds me of when, uh, you know, Peters, Mayer, and Coletta said they didn't even have to be asked to hop the boards and go out after Chris Neal took liberties on Chris Drury. Uh, that reminded me a lot of that. A lot of that, just answering the bell and just, uh, you know, standing up for your team. Awesome. Love it. Um, for two goals, one Mike, I'm Johnny Cullen. Dwayne Steinell, awesome job today, bro. You were hot. It's so is Stu Bickle. Yeah. That's not, let's not. Yeah, yeah not it's not even a comparison. Rocket. Yeah, absolutely, man. I can't even handle it.
So, um, hey, great show, though. Um, we got some good hockey on tonight, and, and we'll be back soon. But uh, we love you guys for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon. All right. Thanks for uh, listening in, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop, created and owned by a true friend of the program, Justin Gritsky. Mitt's is a modern-day barbershop that provides a cool atmosphere featuring some of the greatest barbershops Buffalo has to offer. Come in, enjoy a free beer, play some video games, and get the best haircut in the area. When I asked Justin what sets Mitts apart from the evil chain super-duper cuts that we see at every intersection, his answer says it all. My vision was to create the only true barbershop in Cheektowaga. When customers walked in, I wanted them to get that feeling they got when they strolled into the barbershops of old. The golden era of what a barbershop meant not just a place to get your hair cut. So if you're looking for the real deal, come on down to Mitt's to get the real feel of what a true barbershop is and what it's supposed to be. The clear-cut top dog for all your haircutting needs. Look no further than Mitt's Barbershop. And when you mention that two goalies and one mic sent you in, receive $5 off your haircut that day. Talk about customer service at its finest. Located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheektowaga, it is located right next door to the 33 Speakeasy Bar and Grill. Their phone number is 868-1424, and their hours are Monday, 12 to 6, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. On Saturday, they're open from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and closed on Sundays because why not? Everybody deserves a little Sunday fun day. I want to finish this ad read off by reading a great testimonial from one of Mitt's loyal customers. Tired of the cookie-cutter salons trying to get your attention? Also tired of those men-focused salons? Then when you leave, you feel like you just visited a Supercuts for Men and the haircut isn't any better? Then Mitts is the place for you. Great cut, very professional, great atmosphere. A great place for men to get cut and trimmed up. I'm honestly a little sad I'm only visiting Buffalo because I need something like Mitts back home. You heard it here first. Come on down to Mitts for a great cut and an even better experience. We're happy to have them as a sponsor to the show, and we hope you join us in finding out what makes Mitts just so special. Thanks again to Justin and all the hard work him and his staff do. And without further ado, we'll kick it back to Two Goalies, One Mike. This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect surfaces, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting, ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer. The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net 
for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support, and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. Had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.